0: As I've mentioned to you before, I grew up in the panhandle of West Texas, and in the summers there, which were long and hot, there was the unmistakable sound of cicadas. Now, I found on that fount of wisdom the internet that Chicadas are also a phenomenon here, right? So, and I trust I'm saying it the right way. Chicadas, yes. the silent H, or whatever. <laughs> I still speak like a West Texan, so, you know. <laughs> As a kid, in the evenings and days, that the sound of chicadas were deafening. Turns out that that's part of their. Uh, gift to to, uh, scare away the prey of birds. And besides the loud sound these noisy insects would make, the other sign of cicadas, the one most close to me as a young boy who had explored every cubic inch of our modest backyard, were the cicada skins that I'd find all over the place. Stuck to trees, stuck to plants, They were beautiful, hard skins showing the shape of the insect fully and all of the permutations of the tiny body with a split along the back where the insect had seemingly crawled out of its skin. The molting of the cicada, or when the cicada steps out of its skin, is the final stage before adulthood. It's the final stage before The fullness of, we might say, the calling of the cicada. It then flies off to its cicada life and does whatever cicadas do besides serenade us in the summer. Now, if cicadas had reasoning minds and emotions, imagine a cicada's frustration, a finding that its skin is becoming too small and its fear of moving on to the next phase, if fear could be felt by an insect, when perhaps a little voice in its head says, okay, it's time to step out of your skin now. (laughs) Step out of my skin? That's crazy. I like this skin just fine. It served me all my life. Why do I have to do that? You want me to leave what's Tried and true and comfortable and move to the new. And yet to be fully alive to its creatureliness that to be what it was created to be, there is a season where a cicada must do exactly that. Move on to the next stage to discover its full self. Humans have stages of life, of course, we're familiar with those. Kids have an inherent wisdom knowing they are growing and always looking forward to the next stage of life. We ask kids when they're little what they want to do when they grow up and we get answers like firefighter, police officer, teacher, doctor, so forth. And some of them indeed do go toward these occupations, but we know not to take those early visions too seriously. To discover one's vocation in life any more than the other aims and purposes of one's life is indeed a lifelong quest. It's not always easy to hear the voice of something calling you in a new direction. Some of you likely have had experiences of getting a hunch and going in a new direction with your perhaps career or some other aspect of your life. Sometimes, of course, a new road doesn't doesn't just come to you with a whisper in your ear, or a voice in the night, or a tug in your heart. It hits you full frontal that knocks you off your foundation, a job lost, a poor diagnosis, the loss of a loved one from death, divorce, distance, a change in your life that you did not ask for, but here it is. We have a phrase for that, oh great, Another growth opportunity. (laughs) We season that up a little bit with another adjective, but I won't mention that from this pulpit. But when the Spirit says do, you got to do. When life says go in this direction, sometimes you have to go. Move out into the unknown without the comforts of the familiar upholstery of your life that surrounds you. Sometimes you have to step out into chaos. The word chaos is from the Greek. It means formless matter. And in Greek cosmology, chaos was said to be the original state of things. This idea that what we experience now is order that was brought from chaos and from time immemorial is is an idea deep in the in the history and sacred scriptures of many philosophical and religious traditions, seeing chaos as the beginning of creation. The tension between order and disorder in the creation process is shared by many religious philosophies. This is true in the history of nations as well, this tension between order and disorder, between the status quo and progress. Years ago in the Atlantic magazine, there was an article by political economist Lester Thoreau, who told the story of China at the beginning of the 15th century. China then had all the technologies necessary to launch an industrial revolution. It had blast furnaces for making steel. It had gunpowder and cannon for military expeditions. It had the compass and rudder for exploration. It had paper and movable type for printing, rotary threshing machines and mechanical seeders for agriculture the decimal system negative numbers and the concept of zero for sophisticated mathematics. But China rejected these technologies because they were uncomfortable with change. They were perceived as threats, not opportunities. Innovation was forbidden in important areas. And by the end of the 15th century, the demand for order in China had won out over curiosity and the desire to explore and to expand and to build and to grow. And the world waited 400 years for an industrial revolution. The spirit said, do, and they didn't. It was difficult for China and that time and in that page of history to discern where the spirit was calling. Indeed, it is difficult to discern the spirit of our lives, to know if the voice we hear is authentically the call to something greater or not. The old story of the calling of Samuel illustrates this. Like many ancient sacred stories, this is not so much a story of history, though it's based in history, there was indeed a prophet named Samuel, but the story suggests certain truths, perhaps of our internal worlds and of the struggles we face in everyday life. The story says, the word of the Lord was rare in those days, visions were not widespread. That is to say, that era in Jewish history was low in creativity. The old empire was dying out. But then the hint of a new way. The young and immature Samuel hears a voice in the night and does not correctly identify it. It's God calling in the story, but he thinks it's the priest he's working for. It's an understandable mistake. Young Samuel, full of energy and vision, but needing wisdom to ground him. The man he worked for, the priest Eli, was old, ripe with the wisdom of a long life, but growing fail, losing his vision, losing his power, losing his grasp on his daily life. There is within each of us, perhaps, a young Samuel and an old Eli. The Eli within us, though wise and well-meaning, can be blind to changing realities and new truth. This was China in the 15th century. The young Samuel in us can intuit new directions, but doesn't get it quite right until someone more experienced says, listen, kid, when you hear the voice say, what do you want? I'm listening. And the news that... God had for Samuel that would make the ears of anyone who hears it tingle. Well, as is true in these stories in the rich arc of narrative in the Jewish scriptures uh, from generation to generation, full of all the drama that you would want in life, God tells Samuel that he's going to punish the house of Eli for some transgression in the past, bring down the era of Eli's family, and later in the story Eli's response to all of this impending end of his rule was not to stand in the way of a new creative order that was demanding growth and change. Samuel then emerges as the transitional prophet in Israel history, ushering in a new era in Jewish life. When the Spirit says do, you got to do. But are we supposed to just listen for voices and do what they tell us to do? That doesn't seem a very healthy alternative. Or is it more that we help create reality, following our instincts while also reacting to the needs of the moment and of the day? And Jonathan's great story this morning of uh, Juliet Hampton Morgan is a lesson about listening to voices and following our instincts even when, and especially when, they are not reflected in the wider culture. As the story said, and this is a true story, she was a woman of distinct privilege, who because of her nervous condition could not drive and so took public transportation. And there in the buses, she saw a world that not many white wealthy people of the day saw, the way African-Americans were treated. Morgan knew as if by instinct, an instinct that so many white people of her day did not have, that this was gross injustice. And she acted on the instinct, a particularly difficult thing for her, we might assume, given her nervous condition. She heard a voice in a manner, and she had a vision that was rare in those days. What we left out of the story this morning, which was less appropriate for children, was that one night a cross was burned on her lawn. And this was after a long period of public shaming that she had encountered. She had already faced incredible public persecution for the oddball stands she was taking. And this sent her over the edge. She took her own life unable to tolerate the verbal abuse against her. She was, history tells us, emotionally delicate. And yet, within that, she found incredible reservoirs of resilience and strength to continue her advocacy. She used what energy she had to affirm the call to be a white ally in this pre-civil rights era. The city which then did not tolerate her affirmation of the dignity of African Americans, Montgomery, Alabama, in 2005 named the city library for which she worked in her name. Though she did not live to see a better day for racial justice, that day did come and that day continues coming. Now she wasn't the only one in her generation to have these census. She wasn't even the only one who acted upon them, but act she did and it planted a seed so that years later Dr. King himself gave her credit for her work that predated the later more famous Montgomery bus boycotts in 1955, which drew so much attention to the injustices of racial oppression. When voices call us to new ways in life without the instruction manual to navigate the path, it requires a creative toolkit, confidence, and faith. It means having resilience in the face of change and even of chaos. Where is the Spirit calling us, this congregation? Over the next few months, you'll be hearing about things that perhaps will, like the Lord told Samuel, tingle the ears of anyone listening. Or maybe that's a stretch, maybe I overly dramatize. Anyway, as John announced uh, earlier on March 1st, uh, we'll have a congregational meeting after worship uh, just for information, not for voting purposes, about everything happening. In worship that day, you'll, uh, we'll launch our generosity campaign, the stewardship campaign that will fund the operating budget for the next fiscal year from July 1st, 2020, to June 30th, uh, 2021. And this is a year directly preceding the hoped-for calling of your settled minister. So this is the year which lays a foundation for a new generation of ministry. In that congregational meeting, you'll hear more information about uh, the journey to that calling of the new settled minister who should be arrive here as a candidate for ministry sometime in spring 2021 and... Uh, uh, be voted upon as is uh, the the ways of our faith tradition to start around August of 2021. Also continuing in our life is continuing innovation in religious education for children and youth to build on the work we started. Uh, Last week, if you were in worship, you heard our new religious education consultant, Michelle Grove uh, preach and uh, teach in the history wall about religious education, and you see the path that we're on there. She's coming back for her second weekend on March 8th, the week following the, what I just described. So there's more innovation and more things happening there, which uh, is, I think, making our ears tingle a little bit from some of the buzz I've heard this week. I hope so. We continue to look for new ways to grow our ministries. This congregation has long been a leading congregation in Florida. It was the first Unitarian church of the state, gathered in 1912 by uh, a famous among us, a woman minister who would have thought in 1912 that there there were women ministers, but indeed the Unitarians had them, Uh, in that generation and since 1912 has built upon its vision and is seen as a leading congregation in our association of churches in Florida. I spoke earlier the life cycles of cicadas as well as the human life cycle. Congregations have life cycles as well. Congregations are organic entities that move from one generation to the next, and unlike human life cycles or even cicada life cycles, congregations do not necessarily die. They are, in some sense of the word, potentially eternal. This congregation's growth, if you look at the record, over the past 30 plus years, has not kept up with the population growth of wider Orlando. And of course your city has a very interesting and rich story of the 70s, of how uh, the, the, or the citrus industry declines, as the entertainment industry ascends, and it's, it's a study in disorder and order, in fact, if you want to look at it that way, and how Orlando sort of transformed itself in a very short period of time, experiencing tremendous and destabilizing growth as some of the civic problems facing us is is in part rooted in that, that very quick growth. The congregation, this congregation, has been plateaued in membership more or less over those three decades plus. While the congregation's mission field, and yes, I will use that term, our mission field in Orlando has expanded dramatically. We're now engaged in our transitional ministry in refining and articulating the structures especially of committees and work teams that do most of the ministry of the congregation and looking at various models to articulate a better practice of shared ministry between clergy and laity. You know, professional ministers come in and we don't just do all the work. We're here to, to help you be ministers of the faith as well, lay ministers as it were. So we're looking at, at developing more vision and more grounding on shared ministry. So both clergy and laity are empowered to do the important ministry of this church without getting burned out. So this is to say, stay tuned. Uh, you'll get more information on this and, and perhaps other exciting things in March. This is to say for now, and this time in early February, that perhaps Spirit is calling us to take, yes, a leap of faith, an invitation to grow deeper, to reach out further, to empower more greatly. Listen. Is there a voice calling you to places strange and beautiful, to new eras, perhaps, of peace, justice, and human thriving, we can hope, and listen, and then do. So may it be. Amen.